0: Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. We're moving on through the Gospel of Matthew, <coughs> verse by verse, line by line, in context, understanding all that God has for us in His Word. And uh, as you're doing that, turn into that Scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's just talk a minute about this culture in which we live. It's a real fickle group, isn't it? Let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, There seems to be no shortage of inconsistency, maybe double standard even. You might want to call it that. People might look at one situation one way and then turn around and look at a very similar situation in a completely different way. So to put it another way, it seems like many people do not let the facts get in the way of their feelings. Does that make sense? And that's just my observation, this is just my perspective. Uh, I have no corner on the truth by any means. Uh, But it seems to me like the truth, oftentimes the truth is minimized into obscurity while People allow themselves to be ruled by their emotions, and many times it doesn't matter what we actually say about a particular subject because people have already decided what they want to believe before they even consider the truth. It's like this is what I think. I don't care what you say. I don't care what uh, you know, truth or facts you show me. This is what I think. Period. The end. And so here's I got to thinking about that. I believe many people just don't like to be challenged. They don't like a challenge, period. This is just, just leave me alone. Um, and, and, and this is a side note, this is not, not in my notes, but um, that comes across a lot of times when you hear people say, well, you can't judge me, translation. Just leave me alone, let me sin by myself. You know, And that's what that is. But believe it or not, this same scenario uh, that I've described here is one of the primary reasons, I believe, why uh, people refuse to believe in Jesus and the Bible. Because they don't want a challenge. They don't want their apple cart to be upset. They don't want their, uh, maybe they've held these beliefs or these convictions or these thoughts for a long time, and they don't want anybody messing with that. It's not that there's a lack of evidence. Because there's a mount. Ma- let me just tell you. If you ever want to get into a, an apologetics discussion, let me just tell you this. There is a mountain of evidence for the truth and the, the, ver- the verifiable truth of the Bible. Okay? There, there's just a pile of it. More so than any other book in existence. There are books that are just taken as definitely true taught in universities all over the land that don't have a tenth of a percent of the evidence of truth that the Bible has. And yet nobody is beating down the doors wanting to say, well, this, the, the Gallic Wars, I don't think this is true. You know, Homer's Odyssey, I don't know if this is accurate. Nobody's worried about those things. The Bible has thousands and thousands of, I mean, just the New Testament alone, over 6,000 manuscripts and portions of manuscript evidence for the verifiable accuracy and truth of the Bible. Okay, so it, all, all you need is an open mind and, and it, the evidence is there. But, but people don't want to believe it. They don't want to hear it. They already have their preconceived ideas and beliefs and they find it easier simply to continue believing what they currently believe rather than consider the possibility that they just might be wrong. But what does the Bible say? Because that's really what we're here to talk about. What does the Bible say? Today we're going to talk about Jesus and John and their unique places in biblical uh, history and the relationship there. But more importantly, what Jesus has to say about John, and how all of that, I believe, leads us to this one conclusion. All right, There's going to be several things I say today that I hope will be helpful, but here's the one central truth about today's passage of Scripture. Believe what God says. Believe, you can believe what God says. He, he's trustworthy. He's faithful. Believe God. Now, having said that, why don't we see what God has to say. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The words will be on your screen if you'd like to follow there or if you'd like to uh, do like I'm doing, read from the, from the hard copy itself here. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. That's important right there. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. Well, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds." Father, I pray that You will take this Word we've read this morning and I pray that You will speak clearly to our hearts, help us understand, be gracious to us that we would understand the truth You have laid out before us and that we would then be obedient to it and we would live our lives according to Your Word. And we pray that You would do this in us by Your grace, for Your glory and for our ultimate good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This text, I will tell you up front, there's several parts of this particular passage that are a little bit challenging. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about this, I, I wrote that little introductory paragraph about some people just don't want to be challenged, and then I thought, well, isn't that interesting? And ironic, because this whole passage is filled with some challenges, about some, some meaning, and some understanding of some things. And so it's important that we ourselves don't fall prey to that, that uh, perspective and attitude of, well, I just don't want to be challenged. We want to know what the Bible says. And so here in this particular passage, there are several things that are pointed out to us. Uh, and, and by way of just uh, trying to be uh, concise, I've just kind of separated this text as, it, as the paragraphs fall into three paragraphs in this passage. Uh, and, and each one kind of has a central idea. Number one, believe Jesus is the Messiah. Kind of simple, kind of straightforward, kind of a uh, foregone, not a foregone conclusion, but, you know, in, in church context, well, that I would think that's why we're here, right? Because we believe Jesus is the Messiah. Right? And so, so we wouldn't necessarily just stumble into a church building unless we had already gotten a little bit of a preconceived idea about who Jesus is or else we wanted to know. But the Bible says Jesus is the Messiah, and here's how we know that. Jesus had finished giving instructions to his disciples. We talked about that in chapter 10, about mission trouble they might have and being loyal to the mission. The last couple of weeks we've discussed what the Bible said about those things. And now Jesus has left to go on mission himself, because it says he's going to teach and preach, Right? So he's going about his earthly ministry, and while that has happened, John has since, back in uh, after chapter 4, John the Baptist has been put in prison. Okay, So John sends some of his followers to go ask Jesus a question, and he wants to know. Now, we know some things about John, right? We know what his ministry looked like, and, and if you read, especially in the Gospel of John, you'll hear some things that john the baptist said about jesus right for example in john chapter 3 you know what the last verse of john chapter 3 says the very last verse i think it's verse 30 you know what it says he must increase and i must decrease in other words my job's done here he is and when Jesus walked by, you remember what John said? John said about Jesus. Remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? So, you know, here's why I point that out. Doesn't it seem like John knows who Jesus is? Right? They were cousins. Right? When Mary showed up to visit Elizabeth, you remember? John in the womb jumped because Jesus in the Jesus was present, right? I mean, so there's a connection there. So John doesn't have any doubt of who Jesus is. So why in the world would John send people to ask, "Are you the one?" Well, I mean, I thought you were the one. So, so what's going on? Here's here's what's going on. What did the culture expect in a Messiah? Victory. Military might. We're going to take things back and put them like they should have been, right? Jesus is going to overthrow this corrupt religious establishment and He's going to bring judgment. He's got a strong arm and He's going to put things right. Right? That's, that's what they, they were expecting. A victorious king. And, and And by the way, not to kill the ending, but we're going to get that because Jesus is a victorious king and and there's a day when that's happening, okay It's just not yet so here's here's the problem: John is impatient like the rest of society hey um okay, so Jesus, I made all the big deal here. Here's the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Um, everybody follow him now. Um, you're gonna take care of business sometime soon, or, or what, what's going to happen? Right? Everybody is longing for the victory to be to be done, and and, and he's what, what's Jesus doing? He's teaching and preaching and healing, showing compassion on people. And so it's not that he's not doing good things, but nothing's happening like they thought it should. So John sends some guys, hey, are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? And, you know, from a human perspective, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, seriously? You questioning who I am now? I thought we had this kind of settled. right? So what does Jesus tell these, these envoys from John the Baptist? You, just te- you go back and tell John, what do you hear and what do you see? And look at the laundry list of things that, that Jesus says in this text. Because as soon as he answers in verse 4, it says, you go report to John what you see and what you hear. And, and what, what do they see and hear? The blind see. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What better picture of the Messiah could there be? Right? That's that's Jesus. And so here's here's the point of that. Look what's going on. Judge by the fruit. Actions speak louder than words. What do you see? What's happening? So Jesus says, Look, I don't I don't need to defend this position. I just need you to report what's happening. What am I doing? And they did. And that settles the matter. But look at the last thing he says in verse 6. This is pretty interesting. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Literally, a stumbling. The word in the Greek language is scandalous. Everything about Jesus relative to the culture... Is a scandal because it's completely countercultural. Jesus was the opposite of the religious establishment. Jesus was the countercultural influence to show people what should be happening relative to what is currently happening. Right? And so, and by the way, that's what Christians are supposed to be doing in today's culture. Right? We're supposed to be demonstrating. This is what Jesus had designed, not what's going on so we're supposed to be that countercultural influence so Jesus is talking about blessed is the one who doesn't take offense of me in other words, blessed is the one who does not lose their faith or so suffer some sort of spiritual defeat because of my presence and my teaching and my ministry and so What's happening here is this delay in God's judgment if you focus on the opposition to Jesus and the delay in the judgment and the delay in this big victory that Jesus is going to bring if you focus on those things you might start to doubt. If John the Baptist has some doubts we might have some doubts because we're focused on the wrong thing. Not the Lack of judgment yet. How about the presence of salvation? How about the presence of healing? How about the presence of the gospel of the kingdom? All the things that Jesus has brought into the world. That should be our focus. We can believe that Jesus is the Messiah because as they say, the proof's in the pudding. What do you see? What do you hear? Jesus has demonstrated that He is the Messiah. Number two, believe John is the forerunner. Now, many people may have then doubted who John was. Remember, he was questioned extensively by the Pharisees, right? Because he kept saying, uh, or he, he, he was being questioned, so he had to answer, are you uh, Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? Are you the Messiah? And he said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not. Now, we we'll are gonna get to this in a minute, but isn't it interesting that they asked, they asked him if he was Elijah? And he said he wasn't. And they're right here in this passage. Jesus says he is. Isn't that funny? We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. So we can believe that John is the forerunner. Jesus asked the crowd some questions about John the Baptist. He said, what did you go out there to see? Now, where was John? He wasn't in town, right? He was out in the wilderness. Right? He was eating locusts and honey and wearing a camel skin coat. You know, he he, he was a... Rough looking dude. He was out in the wilderness. And so they were coming out to see him. They were coming out in droves. All the people from town were coming out to see and hear what John was talking about. And what was he saying? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? That was his message. You need to repent because he's preparing the way for Jesus to show up and to enter into his earthly ministry. And so look at the things that Jesus asks the crowd about why they went out to the wilderness to see what John was all about. A reed shaken by the wind. So what does that mean exactly? What did you go out there to see? Did you expect John to be some crazy man that just was tossed all around by every, every different wind of doctrine and, and didn't have a, a firm message? Did you expect him to just be crazy? and not have a particular, unique, and profound truth to deliver to the people? What did you expect to hear when you heard his message? And then he goes on to the next one. Somebody in soft clothing. Now what does that mean? Well, what does Jesus say? He said the people in soft clothing are in the king's palace. So what did you expect? Some reserved, um, meek, not very outspoken person who was maybe you know, of, of privilege and uh, didn't really have uh, a lot to say, he, but he was just kind of reserved. That was not John. You just take a look at him. That was not who he was. That was not his message. That's not the personality he had. So is John going to be gentle? Is, is he going to be, you know, off his rocker a little bit mentally in his message. But then he says the third thing. Did you go out there to see a prophet? And Jesus says, ding, 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 what do we have for him, Johnny? He's not just a prophet, y'all. He's abundantly more than a prophet. He's not just a prophet. He's the subject of prophecy. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says that John the Baptist is the focus of prophecy. In verse 10, he quotes Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I'll send my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. He also alludes to Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6, which talk about the presence of Elijah. So, Jesus in his own description of John the Baptist is telling them, do you not understand who this man is? do you not understand what His purpose was on earth? His his greatness comes from not uh, the fact that He's a prophet, but He is Himself the fulfillment of that prophecy in the Old Testament, which Jesus proceeds to quote to them. And so He's greater than those who did no more than just prophesy about Him. He was the prophet and the focus of the prophecy. So, Jesus continues this praise and this description of John the Baptist because look what He says in verse 11. There's not a person born of women who is greater than John the Baptist. Now, who, who's born of women? Every, right, every human being, right? So, that that's saying... Every, John the Baptist is, is the greatest human being who has walked on the earth. Now, how can, how can Jesus say that? Because Jesus is not your ordinary human being. Jesus is the God-man. He's in a class all by himself. So what Jesus is saying is John is greater than any other human being. Now, why would he say that? Because look what he says right after that in verse 11. Now, if John's that great, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. So what does that tell us? Do you know, can you understand what great privilege it is to be in the kingdom of heaven? If, If you are bought... By the blood of Christ. If you are surrendered to the majesty and the authority of Christ, if you are forgiven of your sins because of the sacrifice of Christ, and you are promised eternal life in heaven because of the redemption that was secured by Christ, all those things put you in the kingdom of heaven. And that position, is Jesus says, is greater than the greatest human that ever walked the earth. Going to heaven is a big deal. It's a big deal. Jesus says so. But as He continues to talk about John, He talks about the kingdom of heaven. Because He's mentioned that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. But then He says this. This is one of those troubling portions of this passage. The kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence and violent men take it by force. And he says, for the prophets and the law proclaimed the word of God until John the Baptist arrived. And this is, this is a difficult truth because the kingdom of heaven suffering violence, this is a lesson that John, while he's in prison, is learning, unfortunately, that the kingdom is not going to immediately judge all of God's enemies, which is why he was asking the questions to begin with. But the kingdom of God is going to be oppressed until God vindicates Himself and His people. Some people, the uh, religious leaders of the day, the religious establishment, they they think they understand the kingdom of heaven. Right? The Pharisees, the whole Sanhedrin, all the Pharisees, Sadducees, the, the elders, the teachers of the law... Describes all this this whole large group of people that comprise the religious establishment. They're pretty convinced that they understand what they're doing, and they don't. And so, when when the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven suffering violence, what's the practical result? Let, let me put it in uh, let me put it in our terms uh, to to equate to the Pharisees and those those in the, in that time period. If you have, uh, in today's day, if you have um, false teachers, if you have uh, maybe, I'm, I'm thinking of some folks that like uh, like a, a whole slate of TV preachers that I might lump into this category. They're not preaching the Bible, truthfully. Um, and so they're, they're, um, they're preaching a different gospel. Uh, there's one in particular, I'm not going to say his name, but it's a big church in Houston, Texas, and he smiles a lot. You know who I'm talking about. So anyway, uh, so he's not preaching the gospel. Okay? He's not preaching the gospel. Because, you know, I don't like, nobody, nobody's a sinner. Everybody's good. You know, he said 95% of people are, are basically good. Um, you know, God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to have everything you ever wanted. All your problems go away when you come to Jesus. That's not the gospel. Okay? That's an example. right. What's the practical result of folks like that when they're preaching a message like that that is not the Bible? What's the result of that? Right, right, right. So everybody, thousands and thousands and thousands of people will go and flog and listen to that and watch it online and watch it on TV. And and if they they, um, believe in that... Gospel as if that were the truth. What's really happening? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I wasn't going to say it exactly like that. That's way better than what I had. Uh, that, yes, they, they are going to hell. Exactly. They are going farther and farther and farther away from the biblical Jesus. Right. They're not. They're not in touch with Christ in, in the Bible. It's a created God. It's an idol, because. Jesus never said, come to Me and all your problems go away and you'll have plenty of money in the bank. You'll never have a sickness and you'll, you know, everything will be perfect. That's not the Gospel. That's a lie. It's false teaching. Right? So, it's not just that, well, they don't have the message exactly right. Bless their heart. That's not what's going on. It's leading people away from Jesus and straight to hell. Because, because the, did you, you realize there's no, there's no fence, right? There's no, well, I'm just kind of in the middle, I don't know what... No, no, no. It's, it's heaven or hell. Period. So, so if you're not preaching the truth, you're doing, you're doing harm, you're doing violence to the kingdom of heaven. Violent men come and take it by force. False teaching. I'm going to get to that at the very end false teaching so Jesus is very direct and says the prophets and the law the scriptures have proclaimed the Word of God until John arrived and then he says this this is a key verse in this whole passage right here verse 14 if you are willing to accept in other words, if you believe, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Did you know sometimes people can be something that they don't know they are? Because John was asked, right? Are you Elijah? And he said no. Because he, he was John, right? He's not Elijah. But he has come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, the prophet he has prepared the way for the messiah of god that is a direct fulfillment of prophecy from malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 this is the prophecy and john didn't even know it he didn't even know what he was really accomplishing through the ministry god had given him because he said no i'm not elijah no he's he's greater than every, any other human that's ever lived. He's abundantly more than a prophet. He is preparing the way for the Messiah. And so Jesus says, He is Elijah. He has prepared the way. Now what does that tell us? Jesus is the Messiah. John was the forerunner, and we can believe that. And by the way, when Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear, the physical act of hearing is not enough. It's more important to to take in what's heard, to comprehend it, and then to assimilate it, put it into practice. So says Leon Morris. uh, He wrote a a great commentary on this gospel and that particular verse uh, uh, uniquely uh, about not just hearing, but do you really take it in. So this focus on the fulfillment of prophecy John has an Elijah-like ministry. But it hinges on, are you willing to believe it? Are you will, if you're willing to accept, Jesus says that, if you're willing to accept it, John is Elijah who was to come. If you have ears to hear, you should hear. Believe Jesus is the Messiah. Believe John's the forerunner. The last one, and perhaps the most important, believe the Word of God. Just very simply, believe the Word of God. Jesus compares this unbelieving generation to children. He says they they're sit, they sit in the marketplace, they call out to other children, and look at the things He says. This is so interesting, the symbolism, kind of a um, an illustration He uses. Jesus says, talking about the generations, well, we played the flute, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. In other words, you didn't... React in the way that you should have reacted to these things, and then he talks about the difference between John and himself. The Bible says that John came neither eating nor drinking. All right, so let me let me just try to explain what what this means, what this illustration means that Jesus is using. John was not the normal character, right? Um, Everybody else is in town. You know, maybe three meals a day, whatever, whatever it may look like, but they're you know, food and drink, they're normal, normal, okay And John's not like that, and because he wasn't like that, what did the people say about him? Oh, he's got a demon, he's crazy. he's demon-possessed. must be, you know something's wrong. played a dirge, he didn't mourn. But then Jesus, and he comes and he's normal. He's blending in with the culture. He's eating and drinking. He's having meals. He's you know, just blending in. Doing, he's doing his ministry, but he's, uh, John was not eating and drinking. He is eating and drinking. And he's hanging out with people that people don't like. Right? So on one hand, John is abstaining from all these things and they think he's demon-possessed. Jesus comes and takes part in society and infiltrates... Society with this kingdom message, and then they say, "Well, he's a glutton and a drunkard," you know. You, so you can't win. There's no, there is no consistency in the perspective of the people, because it doesn't matter. John and Jesus both—they're they're doing opposite things, and they're both wrong, right in the eyes of society. So, so that's what Jesus is trying to point out—that this this inconsistency in the perspective of unbelievers because John wasn't concerned with food and drink so people said he was demon possessed. Jesus was eating and drinking like a normal person but they called him a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But what does Jesus say? The very last sentence in the very last verse, verse 19, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Now what does that mean exactly? Well, I said it before and I'll say it one more time. Actions speak louder than words. Don't they? Did you know the objective truth about who John is, about who Jesus is, does not hinge one little bit on what people think? Those people who did not receive either of them, John nor Jesus, just because they were not uh, received well in in the spirit of which they came does not change the truth of who they were and who they are. Right? So, I I saw a news clip. I don't know why I'm even thinking of this. Good grief, my brain. Uh, I saw a news interview where... Because this is the illustration I always use. Where where I I saw this person who was being interviewed on CNN and actually said... Uh, was asked, so 2 plus 2 equals 4? And she said, no, not necessarily. And I always, I always use this because it's the lowest common denominator, right? 2 plus 2 equals 4. End of story. You can scream to, you know, until the cows come home that it doesn't, but it doesn't change the truth, 2 plus 2 equals 4. And in here I see this video of some deranged person on a national news network actually saying no, not necessarily two plus two may not equal four it depends on how it's interpreted no no that's just not that's that's not true that's just that's not that's not normal it doesn't matter ultimately if someone disagrees with the truth of God and his word because God and his word has proven itself since the beginning of time that it is true. It is objectively, verifiably true. This is a uh, a by their fruits you will know them type of situation. So wisdom, Jesus says, doesn't need people to commend wisdom because the deeds of those who accept wisdom will vindicate the truth. Jesus doesn't need people to, oh, okay, I agree with you. John the Baptist doesn't need people to say, oh, okay, I guess you are right. Because they're doing what God sent them to do and they're fulfilling their purpose. Let me um, let me draw this to a close here. You know, our our enemy, the devil, has tried unceasingly since the dawn of time to get us to question God's Word. I mean, if you go back, go back to the Garden of Eden. That's how old this is. You need to question what God said. Right? What was the question that the serpent asked Eve? Anybody? There it is. Did did God really say that? that, that's That's the temptation and the deception From the beginning of time. Did God really say that? He did it in the garden. He's still doing it today. He's constantly asking that question and begging us to ask that question. Did God really say? The primary issue with this is that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. He always has been and he always will be. So let me... um, I I got a, a quote that I want to end today with. Uh, I, I just heard it in a sermon two days ago and it really made a, an impact on me. I want to read it to you and then say one more thing and then we'll be, we'll be done. Mark Driscoll, he provided us a little wise counsel when it comes to how we approach the Word of God. He said, the only way to interpret the Bible is this, if I disagree, I'm wrong. If I think God made a mistake, then there is something profoundly wrong in my understanding. I am not in authority. I am under authority. Even the parts I don't understand, I submit to. Even the parts I struggle with, I submit to. Even the parts I disagree with, I submit to. Let God be true and every man a liar. I don't want to be a false prophet. Here it is. False teacher. I don't want to be a false prophet. And do you know how you start being a false prophet? You don't reject everything. You just begin by rejecting something. You question what God says. Now I'm not talking about, please please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about parts of Scripture like... Um, the end times in Revelation, where there are multiple views about the timing and when this is going to happen, and all that. So I'm not talking about that stuff because God fearing, God believing, Bible submissive people can talk about and 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 uh, debate those things. And you know, we'll never. God says we can't know, so you know, let's leave it at that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about solid, non negotiable Bible truth. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God Himself. Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins and everyone who places their faith and trust in Him alone for forgiveness and salvation will be forgiven of their sins and given eternal life. Period. I'm talking about Bible truth. When we question Bible truth, here's, here's, what, it, here's, what, the, here's what it boils down to. It goes all the way back to the garden. I mentioned the question that the devil asked and, and here's the other part of that. Being in a relationship with God just isn't enough. Being loved and forgiven and cared for by God just isn't enough. Because what we really want is we want to be God. That was the sin of the garden. It's the ultimate Temptation to sin now. We, we can't stand the thought of someone, anyone else, telling us what to do. You look in, in every corner of creation, you look in every human relationship. It, it could be at school, it could be at work, it could be in the society with law enforcement, it could be in the military, it could be in families, it could be parents to children. Every single one of us can't stand, somewhere in our hearts, we cannot stand the thought of someone else telling us what we must do. We don't like being under authority. And the foundation of a loving relationship by faith with Jesus Christ is we are totally under His authority. His Word, His Holy Spirit, everything about Jesus, He is our authority. And we must submit to Him and His Word. That's what this boils down to. Do we really believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do we really believe the Word of God? Why do you think Jesus said, blessed is He who does not take offense at Me? Because it is so hard to submit and yield to the power and the authority even of the King. And Jesus is the King. He has every right to tell us to do whatever He tells us to do. He earned it. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.